Welcome to Maker Mom, a podcast where I explore the stories of Maker Moms and the life they lead. Each week, I will bring you the behind the scenes story of a new Maker Mom. I'm Katie Freeman, a furniture designer and content creator running FreemanFurnishings.com and your host of the Maker Mom podcast. You can find Maker Moms hanging out in the Facebook community at Maker Moms and on the web at MakerMomPodcast.com. If you love what you hear, please subscribe, leave a stellar review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the Maker Mom podcast. This week's guest is Mira Crow, who is a opera singer turned woodworker um, has such a fascinating story and I cannot wait for you all to hear it but before we jump into the interview I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon so thank you so much Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Christy Twisted Twine, Christina B, Jeremy Spies, Sammy Go Sammy Lee, Lauren Rasp File Designs, Sven, Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel, Moody Makes, Bonnie, Toolmom Bonnie, ToolmomStore.com, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Amy, Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly, Reclaim Living Store, Brandy, Studio, Obey, Kathy, One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs, thank you all so very much for your ongoing and continued support, helping me to produce two episodes a week, every week. And with no further ado, here is Mira. Okay. And I always start by having my guests introduce themselves. So when you're ready, I'm going to let you do that. Okay. Well, my name is Mira Crow, and um, I live in Austin, Texas. I'm from New Jersey, um, and I moved here last year. Um, I lived in L.A. for 20 years. I have two boys, one five-year-old and one three-year-old, and I'm a woodworker. Awesome. Uh, Five and three, those are definitely Mm -hmm. busy ages for sure. They are. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) My youngest just turned five last week, so... um, and I, yeah, it's like my youngest and my last of my baby. So I'm like, no, don't turn five yet. <laughs> five is fun, though. They really have a lot of personality and like the tantrums are less, which is great. <laughs> mm, this is true. This is true, though. I don't know. She's quite she's uh, getting her sass pretty much full on. So that mm. has not necessarily been uh, a fun, uh, I guess, awakening, but um, even when she's being sassy, it, it makes me laugh. I have a hard time sometimes when she's like got that total serious attitude without laughing about what yeah. she just said. Yeah. Yeah. I have that problem too. My five-year-old's getting a little bit of an attitude and I'm like, where did you get that from? But uh <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's me. (laughs) You can take the girl out of Jersey, but uh, you can't take the Jersey out of the girl, right? (laughs) He's got a little bit of an attitude sometimes. Nice. nice. Uh, Well, so you said you grew up in Jersey. Mm -hmm. Um, 
what kind of things were you interested in as a kid? It was all art and music all the time. Um, I loved making things. I always made things out of clay. I was always drawing and painting. Music has been a huge part of my life. Um, before my life as a woodworker, I was an opera singer. And um, I just, it was all arts. It, it totally took over my life pretty much. <laughs> I, um, yeah, so <clears throat> those are my hobbies. I played clarinet, I played a little bit of piano, mostly I sang and I took a lot of art classes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so did you go to art school after high school? Um, after high school, I studied music and um, I went to a community college, but then I left. Um, I started doing, I started doing costuming actually, um, because I also worked at a costume shop when I was in high school and I worked there for about 10 years. And then I started doing some wardrobe for plays and movies. Um, I knew how to sew. And so I started sewing costumes and doing designs for plays. So that was another way that I got to channel my creative juices. And um, at the same time, I was also performing in operas and taking lessons. And so it was kind of a balance. Sometimes I'd spend more time doing wardrobe. Sometimes I'd spend more time doing opera. Um, as I got older, I started to pursue opera more full time. Um, as you get you kind of start to age out of certain training programs mm -hmm. when in opera, they usually, the cap is around like 30, 35 for women, which is unfortunate because a lot of people start later in life, but you know, they, they have their, their um, agendas. So, mm -hmm. uh, so then um, at around 32, I started um, wanting to have kids and I got pregnant with my with my first and I stopped singing um <clears throat> not at home of course but I stopped performing mm -hmm. and then, is that is like <clears throat> opera in the the costume design is that what took you to LA no I moved to LA when I was in fifth grade with my mother Okay. And I moved back and forth from the East Coast to the West Coast a lot, about eight times, actually. I couldn't decide which I liked better, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, when I was in L.A., I wanted to be on the East Coast. When I was on the East Coast, I wanted to be in L.A. Um, but then I settled in L.A. All of my friends were there, and I had spent so much time there. My voice teacher was there, so mm -hmm. um, I settled there and and... Yeah, like I said, I tried to pursue opera full time. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to have children and be um, in the performing arts. The schedule is not really great for, for little kids. Mm -hmm. You know, you have rehearsals at night and, and during tech week, you have rehearsals all day. So it's, it's hard to have small children. Mm -hmm. Some people make it work. They have nannies and, and um, I didn't. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, well, and I would imagine, I mean, even if you make it work with nannies and stuff, you don't actually get to see your children very much. I mean, somebody else is <laughs> seeing yeah. your children more. Yeah, it's not it's not the traditional nine to five hours where mm -hmm. when they're in school, you're working. And so it would be the time that I would get to see my children 
would be, you know, the times that I'd have to be in rehearsals because usually it's at night. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that was a, a hard decision to make, but I'm happy that I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't love auditioning too. Like putting yourself, you know, putting yourself out there so many times, not knowing when the next gig is going to come. That was stressful. That wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. All the travel. I'm a homebody which is why woodworking is great because I just go in my garage and I start making stuff. And, um, you know, the kids are still at home. I can Mm -hmm. still see them. How did you find woodworking? Well, like I said, I've always made things and, um, I always really, (laughs) I always really enjoyed like building Ikea furniture and stuff. Uh, I had actually forgotten that when I was in high school, I worked at a hair salon that had just opened up and they were building out the space. And I totally forgot that I actually helped them build the cabinets and build the manicurist table. It wasn't Ikea. It was like, Mm -hmm. you know, we were actually, they were teaching me how to, you know, build, um, do cases and and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So casework. So uh, I had completely forgotten about that, but uh, I always really enjoyed it. And then I started... I started with a pair of um, <laughs> IKEA doors. Actually, I saw this. Uh, I saw this credenza in CB2 that was, you know, a long credenza, and it had these marquetry doors that had. It was like a mahogany marquetry on the doors, mm-hmm. and I thought I could do that. So I went and I went to Rockler. I got myself some mahogany veneer. I got the doors from IKEA. And I started cutting these geometric shapes out of the veneers. I watched a lot of videos on how to, you know, make sure the seams line up tightly, how to tape the veneer and all of that. The people at Rockler told me to use contact cement, which was a terrible idea. I don't, I don't know why they told me that, but that's what I used. And I got my J roller and um, the contact cement and the fumes were horrendous. I lived in an apartment building at the time and I was doing it outside and all the neighbors were complaining about the fumes. They were like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm just making these doors. They thought I was crazy. Uh, yeah, so I, I did that. That was my first project. And it turned out well. It, it, the seams were not perfect. I had to use a little bit of wood filler. And, you know, now I look back at it and I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. But it turned out well for my first project. I had also um, got this dining table. My husband inherited this dining table from a boss. And it had been warped to high heaven. It was just the table was like, you know, just like sand dunes it was so bad (laughs) so but it was beautiful it was a beautiful oak table and I got uh you know a big jack plane and I learned how to plane and I I um I planed down the top and stained it and all of that so those were my first forays into woodworking Okay. Um, my husband has a cousin who saw the marquetry doors and he's a uh, hobbyist woodworker. And he said, oh my God, that's, that's really good. You, you're really good at this. You should try and take a class. So I took a class at, in Los Angeles. Um, it's a place called Allied Woodshop run by a woman. And it was, I had built um, a 
a cutting board out of just one slab of maple. <laughs> I just, you know, they, they taught us how to mill and taught mm -hmm. us, you know, how to use all of the tools and it, I was hooked. It was great. I, I never stopped. Yeah. Was the class itself taught by the, by a woman? There was one woman teaching um, alongside two other men. Okay. Yeah. But this, the shop was owned by a woman. Then my first uh, beginning furniture making class where I made this George Nelson style slap bench, they that was taught by a woman. So I have had a lot of women, a lot of women have been involved in my education. Mm -hmm. After that, the classes were all taught by men, but there were other women in the class. Um, I, I never really felt the boys club nature of woodworking until I stopped taking classes hmm. and started joining community wood shops and, um, you know, kind of just doing like the, the, yeah, the community based woodworking mm -hmm. and there, there were no women. It was all men and they're all coming over and trying to help trying to help me and give unsolicited <laughs> advice and uh which is fine I, I guess it's fine if it's solicited right if you need help right. but I had my guard on definitely mm -hmm. a few times you know yeah so like were these um like maker spaces or just like um communal shop like wood shop type spaces um, it was a communal wood shop. Okay. Yeah. So were you like renting who, space from them? Or? Um, so we had, we each had like a little cubby where we could put the wood. You'd rent space there. And then it was a membership, part-time mm -hmm. or full-time. You had a certain amount of hours that you could use per month. Um, the guys there were really nice, like who ran the place. And right. they were always very respectful and very, you know, com complimentary to my work. But... They, but some of the people who worked there, it was always, you know, the older gentlemen, the, the younger guys seem to understand that, that women are, are woodworkers too. Right. And this isn't just <laughs> an old, old man thing, but um, yeah, it's, you know, the older guys, they want to, they, they have a different attitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was it, I guess, I don't, was it, because you said you had like kind of your guard up. Was it intimidating going into those spaces and seeing all men to start with? Yeah, it was. The reason I was so attracted to Allied, and honestly, the only reason I took my first class was because it was taught by a woman, it was owned by a woman. And I went in there thinking, okay, this is, this is a comfortable, safe space for me. I'm not going to feel weird or uncomfortable. Not that I was afraid of anything, but mm -hmm. it's just, you just want to feel a bit more welcome. You just want to be right. in a place where there are some people like you, you know, <laughs> it's not just, um, I, I don't mind being in the only woman in a room generally, but you don't necessarily want to be <laughs> right. <laughs> so, especially when it's a new thing that you're learning. Mm -hmm. So to, to go into those spaces taught by women made me feel really good about the, this decision that I had made. I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't go into it thinking this is what I want to do as my career now, but, um, but I knew that it was something that, that I had a passion for 
you know, I kept, I kept designing pieces of furniture and I spent all my time watching the YouTube videos and looking at the magazines and it had really, really caught hold of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, I mean, cause I can imagine, or at least, you know, I'm totally working just from an assumption that in the previous spaces that you worked in, you know, with, with opera, with costume design, that there were quite a few women in those spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they're definitely women dominant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Hi, makers. Today's episode is brought to you by toolmomstore.com. Toolmom and company is for all ages, genders. They have what you need for your one-stop tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing. Uh, the products are fun, fashionable, one-of-a-kind. In fact, I have two of the mugs. Uh, one has a circular saw with flames coming off of it. It says, Go Girl. Another one has the definition of a tool chick. Both of them are super awesome, and I have coffee out of them almost every morning. So check out toolmomstore.com or find them on Instagram at toolmombonnie. You can receive an extra 20% off at a checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. So, I mean, was there any, there were other men who took those classes with you. Uh, was there anything you'd, you said there was not really any kind of thing from the men in the classes? Um, did you notice anything from be, men being taught by women? Uh woodworking wise? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, no, it was, it was generally a quite young and very open-minded group. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was in LA. So, you know, it was, it was a bit more of a a liberal space. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. but they, yeah, I didn't, I didn't notice anything. It was very, welcoming it was very comfortable for me mm-hmm. I didn't feel like anyone had a chip or anything to prove or no it was it was a really comfortable space for sure okay um yeah yeah a lot of those teachers that taught me the the men who taught me who were great guys and they still give me a lot of advice to this day I still message them all the time mm-hmm. because I don't have any teachers right now Right. So by default, they are who I ask all my questions to. Um, So, and I have a lot of them. So they are still like really great about, you know, helping me out whenever I have a problem. They've moved on to a different uh, space. They've opened their own shop now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was, for me, it was great. I really enjoyed it. And how, what was the timing of this when you started taking like how long ago were you taking? I started classes? taking classes um, a little over two and a half years ago. Okay. Yeah, it hasn't been long at all, actually. So, I mean, you still, I mean, you had young, young kids mm-hmm. then <laughs> when you started. Um, one probably only about six months old, if I'm yep. doing math correctly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, one of my little one, I think he was eight months when I started. Okay. And yeah, so it was a nice break on the evening. <laughs> it was only one night a week. Mm-hmm. I'd go in there, 
Um, but I did it for, I did three classes there. I did beginning furniture making, intermediate and advanced. And each of those are like, uh, I think it's a six, you know, five or six month class. Okay. One night a week. Sometimes mm -hmm. on the weekend, you could have a little bit of milling time or catch up time. Mm -hmm. It's about four hours a night. So I, I built a dining table there and that took forever. Oh my gosh. Because it's just four hours. <laughs> right. And then you have to get back into the groove of it. Like yep. you can't just keep going for an eight hour stretch. Then you've got this week long break and you come back and you look at your pieces and you're like, what, how do these go together again? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> right. I don't even remember. <laughs> so that was, that was rough, especially, you know, like I said, I had been consumed by this suddenly and it was really hard for me to to walk away and not be thinking about it. With like when you were taking those classes, what were you like in an apartment or just in a space at home where you didn't have access to being able to do any work at home in between? I was in an apartment. We lived in a fourplex. Um, I would occasionally do work on my front lawn. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like open to the street and anyone right. can walk by. So when I was planning my dining table, that's where I was doing the bulk of the work when I was staining it and all of that. Um, after I started taking classes, I did not continue to do work at home, though. Hmm. Suddenly I learned about, um, you know, safety as, as far as dust control goes. Right. right. And uh, really that that was very important because... I didn't have anything. I didn't have a shop vac. I didn't have anything. I just had the little, you know, bag that goes on the back of your sander, uh -huh. which is nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, so I, I would, it wasn't the safest situation that I was, you know, doing in my apartment, mm -hmm. but it was, it, it was a luxury to be like, I was taught on beautiful machines and like, you know, just, big industrial jointers and um you know we had two saw stops and it was really really a luxury so to go from that to when we moved to austin and i set up my home shop i had like a, a dewalt contractors do you know those job site yep, contractor yep. saws and which gave me so much so many problems i've noticed other people using them without any problems and mine was just it broke every weekend <laughs> i spent more time trying to fix that thing than i did actually working <clears throat> my fence was always going out of square and it was a real it was a real chore but uh yeah it was really nice to be taught on just really really good quality machines not trying to figure things out on my own <laughs> right yeah you know there's that's i i recently interviewed uh, another guest and she said something to the fact of like as we all learn, once we graduate from either like a program or get out of art school, like you would rather try to stay in school as long as possible. So you have access <laughs> to all of that equipment. Um, Truly. You know, that costs thousands of dollars to, mm -hmm. to be able to do on your own. Um, and there's something to be said for that, right? It's like, I kind of wish... Um, I had access and, and took some formal classes as well. And I wish that like, in addition to learning proper techniques on all of that awesome equipment, it's like, show us how to set up and use stuff. That's actually probably what we're going to get to work on at least 
for a number of years before we can afford, um, you know, that gorgeous uh, cabinet table saw. Mm-hmm. Like, how can I use a job site saw to get the same yes. quality um, output? You know what I'm saying? It's just like, I a- totally do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or tell- teaching how to maintain the tools mm-hmm. and um, yeah. Teaching how to tune, tune up your tools and all of that stuff. And you know, moving to Austin, there's so much humidity here and, you know, trying to keep the, my bandsaw um, table, like rust-free has been really difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those little things, you know, they teach you how to like square off the blade and, right. and square the fence and all of that stuff. But it's, yeah, it was, it was really an eye opener for me. I had been, I had been spoiled. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I think a lot of us who have more formal training or anybody really are self-taught as far as maintenance afterwards. Mm -hmm. Like I remember buying, you know, I, when I bought my bandsaw, that was the first time I had ever had to put a blade on a bandsaw and like, you know, watching that YouTube video probably 20 (laughs) times to figure out how to make that happen. Thank goodness for YouTube, right? I, I don't know what I would have done without YouTube. The amount of times, like I said, my table saw was always breaking and there are so many videos on there, how to make this, this $300 saw work for you. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I should have known better. I've made so many mistakes buying cheap tools just because big purchases freak me out. So. I've... Well, I mean, well, not just that, but I mean, it takes it does take time to save up for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even like I don't have a table saw and that part of that is because I refuse to buy one until I can afford a saw stop. I just yeah. refuse. I want something that I'm going to feel comfortable using that I know I'm not going to like cut my fingers off with. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so, but even their job site version of, you know, a table saw is I don't I think it's like fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars and yeah that takes time to save up for that's oh, not for sure that's not something you just go out and and buy uh yeah really nilly you know yeah and you kind of have to I mean for me I had to justify the purchase where mm-hmm. it's like okay this is now something that's going to be making me money people are commissioning pieces from me and mm-hmm. I'm this is going to be a job so now it's important right. to have job site safety. Um, also it took, I, I have a saw stop now. My husband got me one for my birthday slash Christmas this year. And it took me having a table saw accident to realize that, I mean, my thumb is fine. It was just needed stitches, but to realize that this is something that is really, if this is going to be my job, this is necessary. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. That whole what? cost justification. That's a conversation that I have with my wife frequently, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, she's like, uh, her engineer brain kicks in and she's like, well, where's the return on investment before we purchase? Like, yeah, whatever it is, you know, um, I'm like, oh, I don't want to have to do a whole ROI sheet. Just so like. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. So I also you're... thought that I would be going to the school out here, taking mm-hmm. classes, um, Austin School of Furniture Design, Furniture and Design, it's Philip Morley's school. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a big reason. Well, we picked Austin for a number of reasons, but that was one of the reasons I was very excited about moving to Austin. 
they offer, um, I saw that they offer a few Kumiko classes there, which is something that I was and still am very interested in. I took their classes there for Kumiko right mm -hmm. before, actually, Matt Kenny came out and did um, a weekend long woodshop workshop, a Kumiko workshop, five days before COVID lockdowns happened. So I'm so grateful because <laughs> I needed it at the time. I was working on this Kumiko door in a cabinet that I was doing and it was, it was perfect timing, but that was the last time I got to be in that space. And it was really unfortunate. They actually moved out of that shop and all of their stuff is in storage now and they have to find a new space. But that was a big part of me coming out here is I wanted to learn from these great teachers, especially mm -hmm. Philip Morley is amazing. And um, Leslie Webb is has been very sweet and sent me advice on Instagram, but I wanted to, you know, learn from her. She makes such mm -hmm. beautiful furniture. And it's really a shame because there are great woodworkers in Austin. It's really, it's, you know, there's really a lot of, of really great makers here mm -hmm. and haven't gotten to meet any of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a bummer. I think like I'm... April Wilkerson is near here and mm -hmm. she, they have these woodworking meetups and I only got to go to one mm -hmm. and actually barely anyone was there. I walked into this bar and it was four super old men. One of them had like half his hand, not half his hand, like half his fingers had been cut off on one hand. <laughs> and which nothing against that, you no, know, that happens, yeah. that that happened to a teacher of mine. And, um, but it was, I, I kind of looked at the bartender and I said, is, is that the woodworking meetup? And he said, yeah, that's them. And I just, I looked at him, I said, should I go sit down? <laughs> like, I don't, this is, it's just, you know, in right. this bar, in this area, I wasn't familiar with sitting down with a bunch of old men. There were no women in the entire bar. Um, I did. And they were very nice, mm -hmm. but it was awkward. It was super awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's just, that's the way so much of this woodworking community is right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I, there are a, a lot of women out there that make beautiful furniture, but I don't know. I, I haven't gotten a chance to like socialize with that many of them since moving mm -hmm. here, especially because of COVID. I know that right. they are, they are here. Right. Yeah. Is that, I mean, is it, was it COVID driven that like, made you get your own shop space set up so much mm -hmm. definitely yeah yeah and I had these ideas I I I had I had this um cabinet that I wanted to make and then I had all of these plans I have a lot of projects that now are on the back burner because thank goodness I'm getting work but uh, yeah, I just had to, I had to keep going. And that was part of the move too, to have more space so I could set up a garage workshop. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, the kids could be in the house while I'm working. I didn't expect them to be in the house quite so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How are you, I mean, um, how are you managing that? Are they full remote learning? And yeah. Yeah, they are. Austin schools are open, but I am not terribly comfortable sending mm -hmm. them. Um, they're open and they keep closing them and they keep having remote days. And it's just, he's been, 
he's been having an okay time. Uh, my five-year-old is in mm -hmm. virtual kindergarten and it's been fine. Actually, it's tough having him home all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I really have to push him to go back to that last class, mm -hmm. but it's been, he has a really great teacher and we've actually really lucked out. I've heard mm -hmm. a lot of horror stories about virtual learning and we've had uh, a pretty good go of it so far. Hey makers, I want to tell you a little bit about today's episode's sponsor, Athena Outfitters. So when I'm in the market for a new pair of work boots, I do a ton of research, make sure I'm getting something that's going to fit right and going to last. Well, Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women that has a tons of experience with footwear. They've taken the time to select the very best shoes and boots made by each of the most reliable footwear brands. And when I shop at Athena Outfitters site, it saves me time and energy because I trust that they found the best shoes for every job and activity. Plus bonus, you can shop online. So next time you need new work boots or some other type of high performance shoe, check out athenaoutfitters.com, uh, gear with grit, and Athena is A-T-H-E-N-A, -E and then outfitters.com. You can also get a special discount at checkout by using the coupon code MM, that's capital M, capital M15 for 15% off any purchase just because you're a listener of the podcast. All right, let's hop back into the episode. Good. Hopefully it doesn't go that much longer. I mean, I hope right. that he can go to first grade. Mm -hmm. I do feel sad for him. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't get to have the typical kindergarten experience. Right. And, and socialization and mm -hmm. all of that. Because um, even yeah. as adults, I think we understand that this, the, the virtual is not the same. <laughs> as it's not for interacting sure. Interacting yeah. in person with each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how do you get time to, to work? It's really tough. Um, the weekends, Saturday and Sunday, I get to, I mostly get to work unless my husband has to work. Um, and even then we try and he'll just work in the office and they'll bug him. Um, mm -hmm. uh, in the beginning of lockdown, um, TV was a novelty for them, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I could put on a movie and get two hours of work done. Right. during the afternoon or something but at this point they're just over it they're just they're just over the tv they're over the games mm -hmm. and um you know the ipad games or whatever and it's a lot harder to get stuff done my three-year-old is always coming into the shop telling me that it's too loud I'm like all right get out of here <laughs> right <laughs> yes it is too loud Shoo. <laughs> but um yeah, that's been, it's been really tough, actually. I'm mm -hmm. way behind on projects. And luckily, you know, everyone understands right now. They know I'm a mother and they know that I'm, I'm getting things done as much as I can. But during the week, I get very little done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's been really tough. How does that, uh, <laughs> how does that feel in your soul <laughs> to have to like not be able to get stuff done during the week um, oh this is therapy now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's hard it's especially hard because when you have little kids it feels like part of you is putting your life on hold to an extent 
it's like, okay, you know, they need, I need to help them, nurture them, teach them, they'll grow up. And then I can get back to, well, for me, at least then I can get back to work. I know that Mm -hmm. a lot of people are working and they have kids, but I was a stay at home mom for a while. And I mean, I guess I still am a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just working from home also. It's, it's tough because there's so much I want to do. That's, that's really my personality. I have a big long list of things I want to learn before Mm -hmm. I die. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it's a really long list of things (laughs) I want to learn how to do. There's always new things I want to learn how to do. And there's so many areas of woodworking to learn. You know, I want to learn relief carving and, and, you know, making like, doing uh bent lamination and there are Mm -hmm. all of these amazing techniques that you can learn it's endless and that's all I want to do and I love my children and I want to spend time with them too but when that's all you do it's like I need an outlet I really Mm -hmm. need need something to to get these creative juices out that's not building lego (laughs) (laughs) which is fine right <laughs> well and there I are think, people who make lego furniture right, exactly um but i think you know uh to touch on that too for one i think we all need to give ourselves. uh <laughs> i'm just i'm picking up on the you said i love my children and i think we all <laughs> all of our as moms go but wait i do really love my children but I think we need to give ourselves like a little bit of grace and understanding of like, it's been almost a year of life changing, full on, you know, this is what we do day in and yeah. day out. Um, and being a, a mom specifically, or being a parent is all giving right? All you're doing is giving of yourself um, and giving of yourself 100% full on 24-7 is not sustainable for anybody um, yeah. without, without getting something back to yourself. Um, yeah. I have to remind myself of that a lot. Like, this is not normal. We're all living through a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not. So, you know, if you feel like I don't have anything left to give. That's not, uh, you know, that's not on you. That's on this situation. That's <laughs> right. Not, it's not a know. failure. You're not being exactly. a failure as a parent. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, personally, there's the weekends have become like, there are like at least one day of a weekend where I'm like, I am, I just want to like not move and not, <laughs> <laughs> not do anything and not give of anything. And like being okay with telling my kids, like, you need to be able to play by yourself at some mm-hmm. point in time um, because mommy just doesn't have the energy to give right now. And like trying to almost model for them in some ways of like, I have to take care of myself too in order mm-hmm. to be able to take care of you. So um, yeah, it's kind of a fine balance. They don't understand it at all and generally don't (laughs) respect those boundaries at all but um, yeah it is yeah that's tough trying experience yeah yeah it's also you know 
if you have, if you're giving all week and then the weekends are the time to work, when is the downtime? Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, you know, luckily I, I do feel like some of work, my work is, is downtime. I do enjoy, but physically it's not right. at all. <laughs> I'm physically, I'm exhausted all the time. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. It's not just the kids, you know, when you're home all the time, you're cooking all the meals and cleaning up after all the meals. And there's so much to do in the house. Mm-hmm. It's, um, this is a trying time for sure. But once we get out of it, we can do anything, right? Right. Imagine how amazing those weeks will be when they're in school. I've always said I can get anything done in two hours. You know, after having kids, you know, I'll be like, okay, get the kids, take the kids for two hours and I can get everything done. I just feel like I'm going to be the most productive person ever after COVID. (laughs) I'm just going to be cranking out the furniture and the house is going to be spotless. (laughs) You know, check in in six months and obviously it's all going to go to hell again, but. <laughs> I totally understand that. It's my fantasy. That's right. <laughs> my fantasy is, is to be alone. <laughs> I understand that. That's, uh, yes, that's one of the things that I breathe a big sigh of relief when I just walk into the shop doors and it's like I get to close that door and there's nobody talking to me there's nobody Mm -hmm. asking for anything and it's just my time you know uh to do whatever so I totally understand my fantasy is to be alone as well yeah Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah alone but also with friends that I can go visit yeah (laughs) friends and family that I can see that I I just want the option yes exactly (laughs) yeah so yeah. how are you, how do you get your work? Like, how do people find you to get commissioned pieces? Most of it has actually been through a mom's group so far. Um, I joined this mom's group in uh, when I had my first, so five years ago. And it's a, it was a pretty tight knit group of women in LA at the time. And then, um, so honestly, they've kind of like the people that I became close with in the moms group have been there with me since the beginning, funnily enough, when I started taking classes and we, and I mentioned it, and then I started getting better and better and then started making pieces that people actually took interest in Mm -hmm. and wanted to commission. And um, so most of my business has been from there, uh, which is interesting. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, um, now that you're in Texas, does that mean like you're shipping pieces back that's to the LA? Tough thing. Yeah, that's the tough thing. Figuring out shipping is my, my big issue right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was interviewed on the Women of Woodworking podcast uh, on uh, Instagram, yeah. Yeah. she uh, said that she put me in touch with some people who ship more pieces because that's really my pieces aren't small is the problem. It's like, if I was doing, I do cutting boards and and pizza peels and stuff like that too, which are easy to ship. But then I have this keyboard stand that I made. um, It's a a stand that you can place your keyboard in and it covers it and makes it look like piano. Mm -hmm. And it has like cutouts for the speakers and everything. And I've gotten a lot of interest about that from some of my musician friends and some other people. They're all in Los Angeles. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know. I know people ship, but 
you got it. It's expensive. Mm -hmm. It's really expensive. So I have to figure that out. I have to see maybe if I, maybe I could design like a flat pack version. So I have, have yeah, I have the same, I have the same issue, right? Like that's what's kept me more focused locally just because I'm like, I don't like, I'm carving a log that is going to still weigh like 50 pounds when Mm -hmm. it's done. And um, how do you ship that at a decent rate? Um, Yeah. And so I got a tip from another podcaster that I was interviewing. um, And she said, if you sign up for UPS online, like that gives you some cheaper options than even going into like the UPS stores. Mm -hmm. And then also she has learned from working with other people who do ship large pieces of furniture uh, that they just say, you know, that they just tell the customers they're responsible for the shipping. Um, And that's what I've done so far. Yeah. And she's (laughs) like, and, and they don't get balked at by doing that. You know, they're, Uh, We had a conversation during that interview about like, perhaps maybe because the people who are giving the advice are men, they don't get questioned as much about pricing and about like Mm -hmm. shipping fees. Um, But still, it's, I guess that's the option out there, right? If somebody's willing to pay the, what you're worth for what Mm -hmm. you're making, then probably more than likely they'll understand that they'd be responsible for shipping yeah as well so um yeah I've heard uh, so far I've been just saying well you know I live in Texas uh I'm gonna need you to figure out shipping and there have (laughs) been some creative go-arounds like um this I'm I'm making some stools for someone and we're going to send them via Greyhound Mm. you can put things under the Greyhound bus and they have to go and pick it up. So she has right. to pick it up from the station, but it's way cheaper than having it shipped and delivered. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, those are, those are things I'm going to have to figure out because so far all my customers are in LA. <laughs> so I don't know anyone here. Right, and, right. <laughs> and it's still COVID. So right. it's going to be a while until I can meet people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So also a lot of the pieces I design are like small space, small living, small space living pieces. Mm-hmm. I want them to be, you know, kind of um, functional, functional type storage for small spaces, right? Because up until now, that's been how I've lived. Mm-hmm. And um, even now, well, my house isn't small, but I, I really, I like attractive storage. That's my whole, that's mm-hmm. my big passion. <laughs> is pretty storage I like to hide all my kids stuff yes I I really under relate to that as we continue to find try to find better ways uh to store stuff so it's not all out in the open um that's why my customers are moms (laughs) you know but I also struggle with like I I, which is odd considering I make furniture but I really am like a minimalist person when it comes to like things that take up space in my living space, mm-hmm. um, which is odd because the person I'm married to is the exact opposite of that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> where it's like, let's just buy another piece of furniture. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> like we have something on every wall and it drives me insane. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, it's like, okay, how do we make it? So what we do purchase or make functions to its fullest Mm -hmm. and has room to grow because guess what? Kids accumulate more and more stuff. (laughs) Yes. They get. (laughs) Yes. And bigger stuff. Yes. Today's sponsor is Rasp and File Designs. Rasp and File was created to give new life to old things and create spaces that feel timeless, unique, and warm. Your home and business should be your sanctuary, a place of solace, and your personal piece of art. The owner and woodworker behind Rasp and File Designs is Lauren Matthews, and you can follow along and find out more information on Instagram, just look up Rasp Filed Designs, or on the internet at rfdesigns.squarespace.com. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I like to hide everything. So I think, I, I definitely think that's why my, my stuff is attractive to moms, because we all just want to hide all of our kids' stuff, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so what's on your, how do you make it work right now? Or what do you see making work to be able to continue to learn things during this time period, you know, when you can't meet in person? Um, you mean like learning new techniques and stuff? Mm-hmm. It's really been a lot of YouTube um, I've bought I bought some books. It's hard for me to learn certain techniques out of books, though. Mm-hmm. Like it's one thing to, um, you know, learn uh, Kumiko patterns, and they have little measurements out of a book. That's that seems easier to do than like. Right now, I'm I'm doing my first uh, carving piece where I'm carving out seats and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and. I had to tap my old teachers for advice on that and then watch a lot of videos. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's been, uh, it's been mostly videos and asking advice of my old teachers. And that's, that's really the only way I can do it right now. Sometimes I using... shout out on Instagram and say, yeah. Hey, how do I do this? <laughs> Some people kindly help me. Are you uh, working with hand tools or power tools for carving? Uh, both. I'm okay. starting with power tools. Uh, I got a disc grinder. Mm-hmm. And then um, after that, I have my gooseneck scrapers and I have um, <clears throat> my spoke shaves and rasps and stuff like that. So that's what I'll be using. Yeah. Uh, well, you can always. But I will me- have to ask you advice yes. now. <laughs> so you can always hit me up if you need if you need advice with using the grinder. Um, yeah. But I was going to recommend uh, Anna of All Trades has her oh, new yeah. online classes. I just uh, took one of her classes, yeah, actually. And they're pretty in-depth. So um, mm-hmm. I would recommend that for hand tool carving because she mm-hmm. is really good at that type of work. Um, yeah, I saw she, I think I saw her making um, a rocking chair or something mm-hmm. and carving out the seed for that. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to do that. I took one of her classes on one of her business classes. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. The virtual classes, the way the virtual class space has expanded during COVID has been great for me because yeah. even if I could go into the school, I can only go so often because of the kids. Right. And that's been really nice. Last week I took a class with workshop of our own mm-hmm. and um, I've taken a few through the Austin School of Furniture and Design. Yeah. And that's been, that's been great. I've learned a lot. Those are really really handy tools and you can watch them over again, which is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I've really enjoyed that. That's been really great. Yeah. And I have the magazines and stuff, you know, I get, I get popular woodworking and I get fine woodworking, which (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It's not my style of furniture. Mm -hmm. I also have a a bit of a bone to pick with them with their represent lack of representation. With which one? (laughs) Uh, with the latter. Yes, I figured that's the one you were talking about. Yes, yes. Yes, you're the spokesperson for representation in popular woodworking now. I'm not, but I will say I, know. I will say that the reason I even, you know, reached out to them about writing an article for them was because of their editor's post um in June about Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. understanding that there needs to be more representation and him taking it on personally to make sure that that starts to really happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have friends in the makerspace, female friends in the makerspace that are being reached out to by popular woodworking, um, you know, to, to get in uh, articles and stuff written in there. So I know it's like, yes, I was on the cover, but I don't, I know that won't be the end of it. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean? yes. Like I, yeah. I see him really keeping to his word and trying it's to not push. lip service. It's not yeah. lip service. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah that's the ladder, the ladder oh. needs to, <laughs> to, 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 uh, step up actually almost every other woodwork yeah. magazine. Needs they to really do. Up. They really do. It's unfortunate. And it's not just about female representation. It's about people of color. And, and, you know, as a woman of color, when do you see women of color in these magazines? <laughs> never, never, never. And it's so frustrating to, to know that there are so many wonderful craftswomen and, you know, non-binary craftspeople mm-hmm. and just not, not getting to see that. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what I meant What when saying going into that space and knowing it was female-led made me more comfortable. Right. A lot of times you're not going to want to walk into the room if you know you're the only one, mm-hmm. you know? And that's just... Or it it's, at least, it's, even if you do it, it just creates another hurdle. Yeah. Of like, because to me, as somebody who, I mean, I'm, I will turn 40 this year, so I am making myself more vulnerable and learning how to do that more publicly Mm -hmm. and openly. But it's always been to me, the most vulnerable I get is with my woodworking. Mm -hmm. That's where I put it all out there. I mean, you're creating something that's part of, at least for me, very much part of me. And then I put it out in the world and I'm letting people judge it (laughs) and say, you know, is this good enough or not? And so the act of putting yourself really out there in your design and learning how a craft is harder to do if you don't feel welcomed in that space Mm -hmm. or don't feel like you belong in that space because you don't see anybody that looks like you in that space. (laughs) 
Yeah. And we know they're out there, right? You've interviewed so many amazing, you know, people who, who don't fit the, the mold of the, you know, of that particular, (laughs) that demographic. I'm not going to call them out again because (laughs) (laughs) I'm not the only culprit, but it's, yeah, they, there are so many, you know, other women out there and with your podcast and with, you know, Women of Woodworking, we see them, we know that they're there and we know they have amazing stories to tell. And it's unfortunate that they're not in the mass media that, yeah. you know, we, we want to be represented too. That's because there's still a certain demographic that's the gatekeeper of that mass oh, yeah. media. Yes, right? yes, definitely. Well, we still have to walk up hat in hand and say mother may I you know instead of being reached out to yeah but the thing is is that men don't mind learning from women I've seen this I've watched it they don't mind they don't mind if it's a female teaching them they don't mind if it's you know non-binary person teaching them it's the technique that matters right Mm -hmm. they're not going to look at an Indian woman like me and not want to learn from me so why do you need why why is that they don't why are they expecting that that oh we need to um, cater to our demographic well that's that's the techniques that are catering to the demographic right. it's the, it's what they're learning that's catering to them it's not the people who are doing it all right. you see in those magazines are hands for the most part <laughs> right exactly <laughs> does it matter what color the hands are no right. right it matters what they're making i mean personally their stuff is old-fashioned for my taste right but it's the techniques that you learn from it and mm-hmm. you don't need to see someone who looks exactly like you Right. To learn from, to, to respect that they are a person with knowledge. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't know if you watch and get a chance to watch any Netflix or anything like that, but the, the series on there, uh, blown away is about glass blowers, you know, and it's a competition mm-hmm. show. Uh, and they just had season two. And of course I binged it because anything around like artistic type craft stuff I'm drawn to to watch Mm -hmm. and they had um a black man on there competing and the most powerful thing he said uh unfortunately he did not win but the most powerful thing he said on there was I want to show the world that black hands can make something beautiful and so it's like Yes, because they can, <laughs> because it mm-hmm. doesn't, it, it, like, of course you can, like, why is, you know, it, it was, it was powerful because it saddened me to hear him have to say that, mm-hmm. because we should already know that, because yes. they've been, black and brown hands have been making beautiful things from the beginning of time, so why are we shocked by this? And it's only here that there's this issue, right? I right. mean, there is a, a, deep deep tradition of woodworking in other cultures Mm -hmm. there you know you have all of the gorgeous islamic woodworking and in india if you go the temples the inside are all wood and the most intricate carving you have ever seen like the detail in these in these carvings are insane Mm -hmm. and you know there's there's so much tradition in african tradition of woodworking wood carving it's not and latin it's not a white specific thing it's but in this country <laughs> in this country it is for some reason and it doesn't make sense Mm-mm. it doesn't make sense because there are deeper and and longer traditions of woodworking in these other cultures 
I don't know why it's become such a, a such a white specific thing in this country <laughs> <laughs> or why, well, you know, it, why they're the gatekeepers right. is understandable because it's, they're the gatekeepers of most industries in this country. Correct. So I guess it does make sense, but it's frustrating. It is. It's frustrating when I know that, that it has come from these other cultures. Yeah. Yep. Now I am totally respecting your time and it has hit 10 o'clock. So I want to give you a chance to let people know how they can find you on uh, the interwebs. Uh, well, right now it's just on Instagram. So my handle is at Mira the Crow, crow spelled like the bird. Um, I will be putting my website back up. It used to just be opera, but now I need to redesign for furniture. So um, that's in the works. It's slow going. <laughs> it's my husband's domain. He's the tech person. So whenever he's got the time, mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I can do it. I just don't want to. <laughs> You know, I hear that my my self-developed uh, website via Squarespace broke but at the basically at the start of COVID last year. And I was like, I do not want to put all that time back into fixing it and redesigning it. So I paid somebody. <laughs> I'm, like, yes. I'm not doing it. Somebody else yeah. can do it. Um, that's how it is. <laughs> I had the good fortune of marrying a programmer. And so I make him build all the websites. <laughs> so that yeah, I mean, I'll probably fortune. just use, yeah, I probably <laughs> will just use my old website and like change some stuff, but yeah. it's been taken down for a while. Yeah. So, yeah. but right. then it'll be miracrow.com. Okay. So easy, easy, easy. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks yeah. so much for taking the time to chat with me this morning. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. All right. Well, again, that was Mira Crow, and I will include all the links on how you can follow along with her in the description for this episode, as well as in the show notes over at freemanfurnishings.com forward slash podcasts. If you uh, enjoyed today's episode as much as I did, as well as any other episodes, please remember to hit that subscribe, like, comment button, head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. All of that helps the algorithms know that not only do you enjoy the podcast, but others like you may enjoy it as well. Uh, Please check out Patreon, patreon.com forward slash makermompodcast and check out joining the tribe over there. There are several different levels to choose from, and they come with different merch depending on what level. It could be a t-shirt, a coffee cup, sticker, all of the above. And uh, no matter what level you pick, you get access to additional content, such as live, being able to participate live in an interview. Meaning if you are a patron, you get access to a Zoom link for one of my interviews. And you can hop on and listen and uh, while it's going on and at the end, be able to ask your own questions. So that's kind of a fun thing that I am. I tried out once last year and I'm, I'm making a habit of it this year. So if that sounds like something you might be interested in, uh, in addition to any of, you know, just being a part of the, the Maker Tribe over there, please check out patreon.com forward slash Maker Mom podcast. 
Now, when I am not uh, interviewing fantastic women and non-binary folks and telling their story on the podcast, you can find me designing and making furniture and home decor over at freemanfurnishings.com and at Freeman Furnishings across all the social medias. Uh, the, the three probably that I am most active on are YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, where I am active on the daily on TikTok and Instagram, so you can keep uh, up to the minute, as you will, on what I am currently working on. All right, so it is Friday. It is the weekend. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Hope you get to spend time with your families and get out and make something. Until next week, I will see you later. Thank you for listening to the Maker Mom podcast. You can connect with the Maker Mom community in the Facebook group page, Maker Moms. And remember, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe, leave an awesome review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Thank you.